Hey friends, thanks for listening to the City Network Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Before we get to the episode, I want to take a moment to tell you about the Soul Care Prayer Summit happening April 22nd to 24th up at Quaker Hill in McCall. The summit is for men and women who serve as leaders and missionaries in the Treasure Valley. This is a space created for you as a visionary leader to hear from God and care for your soul. And it's not just for pastors. It's for anyone who has a vision for kingdom transformation in their sphere of influence. We want to create a space for you and your spouse to pray over that and to pray for our valley together as a unified church trying to reach our communities with the gospel. We're also helping with childcare this year, so let us know on the registration form if that's a need for your family. Go to thecitynetwork.org slash soulcare to register. And now for today's episode. You're listening to the City Network Podcast. Our mission is to grow and multiply healthy churches in the Treasure Valley and beyond. Head to thecitynetwork.org for more info on our initiatives to catalyze church transformation and church planting. Here's today's podcast. It's just me, Robert Frazier, here today. And today... I'm, I'm pretty stoked about this. I have one of my friends, Josh Branham. He's a pastor here in our hometown of Boise, Idaho at Hill City Church. And he's been a part of our leadership team and our staff team with the City Network. And uh, today I wanted him to share because he does he does some incredible stuff. Uh, the, the real reason I wanted him to talk today is about how to not just reach the next generation, but to reach the next generation by engaging the next generation in the mission. And he's done an incredible job with that at a couple of different places. So wanted him here to share a little bit of his journey. Josh, how's it going, man? It's going good. Yeah, thanks for having me on here. Always, always excited when we get to just sit down and chat. So I know, man. Uh, and we've we've done this a few times. He he helps me actually uh, with another podcast that we do for our our local network, and we need to get some more interviews in the can for that. But it's it's fun to be together. Yep, definitely. All right. So Josh, you are a church planter, but a different kind of church planter. You have probably one of the most unique stories in terms of like, you've, you've got elements of like, like multi-site, you've got elements of merger, you got elements of church planting, and then you're part of like church planting as a network, like walk through the journey for you. Five years ago, you're leading student ministry at one of the largest churches in our valley. And then what happens? Yeah, so started off in youth ministry at a growing church uh, in town. At one point in time, it was one of the top 10 fastest growing churches in the nation. And so I came to Boise to go to Bible college, got plugged in. My brother was already serving at this like cool youth ministry. So I got plugged in serving there really on, you know, if you think of the bell curve of growth, really right when things were starting to explode at that church. And so I got to see kind of the scale from a couple services to five services to two locations and scaling youth ministry. And 
you know, for us, that's really where I learned uh, so many of my practical ministry lessons, learned a lot of things of what to do, a lot of things of what not to do. Um, and in that, really, uh, I, I didn't get into youth ministry or become a youth pastor in order to stay there. I felt as a 19, 20-year-old, uh, a calling to plant a church, to be a lead pastor. Uh, but I just knew that for that season, God had me in youth ministry. And I enjoy students. I really, I believe there's something special about that season of life. Um, a vast majority of followers of Jesus make the decision to follow Jesus. I think it's like north of 80% in their teenage or their, their uh, childhood years. So it's incredibly important. It's an incredibly important. It really, you know, for me, I don't think it should be this kind of like on the side subcategory of church. No, it should it's, be the center. The center yeah, it's yeah. like the bread and butter. I mean, and I uh, just think of Jesus saying, let the children come to me. And um, yeah, so for me, love that season of youth ministry. For us, we made some shifts uh, in that season from really heavy attractional model of raffles, games, crazy, like lots of, you know, our budget and our time and our staff energy put into the program of youth group to really later on, some of the lessons we were learning uh, was really had to do with this idea of um, are we producing disciples or are we just gathering kids together and having a fun time? And, you know, for us, it really came down to this idea of a metaphor we talked about a lot in youth ministry was, you know, imagine a baseball camp. I think this came from an orange conference. I'm not sure who, who originated this metaphor, but we use this metaphor a lot. Imagine a baseball camp where you get people that you get kids together, you bring in like, pro baseball players to give lectures on their, you know, tell stories about baseball. You give them like books on baseball and they get like, Oh, this is so exciting. But they show up in the morning, they go, they go home at night and they never actually threw the ball. They never actually mm -hmm. played ball. And so really that, that language of we want to let students play ball when it comes to their faith. And so we started changing our camps to more service-based, more mission-based uh, we started putting a lot of the ownership over discipleship in the hands of small group leaders. I mean, there was a, there was a point where we had a couple hundred students, 60 leaders, and we couldn't decide. I, I, I couldn't disciple all those students. A program, a program wasn't working to disciple all those students. And so we really started discipling the leaders who were discipling the students. And we, we saw just a ton of growth through that. Um, well, I yeah, gotta say, like, I know, I know so many people who, this is one of those things that I've always thought was genius about what you did. I know a handful, maybe even a dozen people who were youth leaders in those era with you, and they committed to four to six years with a, with a group of kids. And that became like this little group of disciples that they followed from sixth grade through 12th grade. And then they became the adults who then were pouring into the next generation. That's like, that's a really high ask. You, you go to most churches and you say, I don't just want you two weeks a month. I want you four weeks a month on a weeknight. And I want you to do it for six years. Otherwise don't do it. That's a pretty high ask, man. Yeah. So we, I mean, that's really, <laughs> we had really high standards for our leaders, not necessarily high standards in terms of uh, experience in church or theological knowledge. Some of the stuff yeah. you might think of. Um, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, we still background checked all of our leaders, you know, just have to put <laughs> that out to, there. You have to say that for insurance purposes. <laughs> and, uh, but we had really high calling, which look at Jesus's calling. He was up front. It wasn't the fine print. Take up your cross and now yourself follow me. So we had a really high calling when it came to the reality of we're, we're not looking for you to step in for six months and then step out of these students' lives. We're caught, we're, we're looking for leaders who are there for the long haul these are, these are leaders who use their own vacation time to go to our, our multiple camps every single year. And, but really like, that's the fruit of discipleship. I was with the group. I not only worked as a youth pastor, but I also, um, led a small group of guys for seven years from sixth grade to 12th grade. My brother did the same. My wife did the same, you know, those are the students we baptized. We discipled even outside of the program, uh, we took them on senior trips, on mission trips. Like th those are the ones that we live life with. And so much of my time in youth ministry, the main question I kept wondering, because I, I couldn't ever get away from, I knew it was a, a and there was going to be an end point. Um, my, my brother is the opposite. He's, you know, he's always said like, I could see myself serving with students, you know, for the rest of my life. And I've always not felt that way. I just felt like <laughs> there will come an end to this. But the question that like kept haunting me was why don't we see this in the rest of the church? Yeah. And really that calling to plant a church was really kind of bound up in this idea of what if we saw the same kind of growth? Like, why is it that you have to, you, you know, you're not seeing 80% of adults make decisions to follow Christ. Like those are the kinds of questions I really wrestled with. And that was really the heart behind uh, planting a church. I became, there was an opening, we were multi-site. There was an opening to, for the campus pastor role at the smaller struggling campus, uh, about a hundred people, maybe a little bit less other side of town. I love that part of town, kind of lived, lived close to that area. Um, super outdoorsy kind of community and, you know, just, just culturally it was a good fit. And it's, it's right at the base of the ski hill that we all go to just right outside town. So it's, it's got that vibe for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there's an opening there and uh, it was, I did, I never, like, I didn't want to do it. It was, it was definitely one of those like, um, if, unless it was a strong sense from the spirit that I needed to put my name in the house. I was the only one who applied for the, for the opening, by the way. So I got, I got the job as a campus pastor. Everybody else was smart enough to go, this doesn't look like a good job. I'm yeah. It had been a campus for uh, about four years. And I was the fourth campus pastor in that time span. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of leadership turnover, a lot of uncertainty um, it was struggling. It was really struggling. And like, I didn't, I, I wasn't foolish enough to say, I'm going to go in and save it or turn it around. I just had this undeniable sense that God was leading me there. And that would be another, like, okay, I guess this is delaying the, the, the call to plant a church, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, you know, be with this for a few years or, or a decade or so. And then maybe one day I'll get an opportunity to plant a church. And, uh, God knew what he was doing. That's, you know, long story short is um, our church made the decision to go from multi-site to really uh, break off and be two different local churches. So within a year and a half, I had an opportunity to take that campus and plant it as 
uh, a church, which is now our church, Hill City Church. So that that the our plant was a was a relaunch. Was how we yeah. planted. Well, God God brought you a launch team. Whether whether you thought it was that or not, that's what He was doing. He was like preparing you for that next season. So you guys take over. It launches as an autonomous church. How long had you been a campus pastor when that happened? I had been a campus pastor just under a year and a half at that point in time. Okay. And then how long, so you guys launch as a, as a church plant, did that, did that give you a ton of freedom of vision? Like all of a sudden you could think differently about it than when it was multi-site? Like what was the big shift for you? Yeah. So for us, it was, um, you know, it's pretty hard to make anything more than minor tweaks on mission, strategy, values, when you're an established organization. Um, it's really difficult to do that. People will say, we're going to, and we, and I, I know because I've been a part of those meetings in, in an established church where it's like, we're going to rethink everything. And then what you count, you spend hours talking through it, whiteboard, you know, and then at the end of the day, you're like, this is almost exactly the same as what we've been doing because there's a lot of risk when it comes to changing things, changing culture. And for us, there's a lot of difficulty that came with relaunching, but the biggest benefit was the freedom to be ourselves, to be the church God called us to be in our neighborhood, in our context. And so, yeah, we, we took, you know, the good from the culture that was already there. We tried to like leverage and capitalize it. We didn't want to like throw everything out because there were some, some good things from the other campus pastors who had led before me from the people who had like a faithful remnant who had stuck with it through very difficult times. You know, you want, you talk about like, so there are some seasons where the church needs kind of a refining or a pruning. Well, we had that, like that was our advantage. We had five years of pruning before, um, to see who's all in. And so we really started with uh, a, a smallish group, but it was a group that was really committed to one another. They were committed to relationship and they were committed to our area, uh, our part of town, whether or not they were committed to like the values of the church or, or yeah. so those are all the things we had to redo. And that was it. There was a ton of freedom in that. Awesome. And what would you say is the biggest shift from the organization that you had been a part of to what Hill City is now? Yeah, for us, I would say um, more than the like, one of the thing, I'd say two things. The first one is, so I had just been wrapping up my master's program in preparation for launching the church. So we launched, we planted the church and I wrapped up my master's program um, that that year. And so I had and, been- And you had a kid that year too, right? We had doesn't, a kid that year. Doesn't yeah. everybody have a kid the year that they plant a church? That's like a, a part of the process. <laughs> That's right. And I started yeah. seeing a counselor that year. So there, yeah, there you go. We all, we all do that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was like, uh, I had been reading all these, you know, just like center church and just organizational books, uh, advanced strategic planning. I'd been reading these, these academic books on church philosophy and structure and strategy, been you know, having to write papers on, uh, that topic. And one of the things that was really convincing, really convincing to me is the difference between aspirational and actual. And a lot of churches, the statements that they use to describe the church, and there's nothing wrong with this. They just have, people just have to know what they're doing is they're, they put all these statements on a website and these are aspirational statements. This is what we hope that our church will become. 
and it was re- it was impressed on me in that season. I don't want to advertise anything about our church that isn't true of us and true of our community. And so we wanted to be actual. Anything that we like say that we are, we're not going to say it unless we do it. And so we have to put action with those words. And so we're not just going to say, you know, that we we serve our community. We're going to like find ways to do it. We're going to cancel mm-hmm. church one week and we're going to go out and we're going to serve. We're going to we're going to do that kind of stuff to put our money where our mouth is. So that was that was a, a really big change. Another change actually comes from not like the the mission vision strategy. Really, it's like our name, Hill City Church, comes from Matthew five fourteen. Uh, Jesus calling his believers to be a city set on a hill, and there's a bit there's a big uh, philosophy shift from attractional to not not too missional, but I would say attractional and missional, and yeah. um, adding both components. So if we didn't, we're still about the gathering but we're also about the scattering. And there's this, the picture of the city set on a hill is really powerful to me because God is building a people, a community. That's what a city is, but he's building that community, not only to draw people. So the only place to experience the city is when you, you know, go to the city, but he actually is giving this picture of a city that is shining light forward. Mm -hmm. And it's not just drawing people, but it's actually going out from that place, being the light of the world and so I, so this is that picture of, of trying to do both and do both well, um, was probably the largest shift and our first, like it was just me at first. And then a few months before we launched Hill city, we brought on my friend, Jake, and that was the piece that like, I would say got him where he was like, yes, like he, he, he was like experiencing a lot of the like program, heavy draw people, attractional model. And I was like, we're not going to stop doing church. We're not going to stop Sundays. We're not going to stop gathering. We're just going to try to also do that light of the world out in the neighborhood, making a difference for Christ thing and uh, not program-based, but just people-based relationship-based ministry. So those are probably the two biggest shifts. Yeah. Okay. So then you have this other season, you're about a year in after the, the relaunch of Hill City. And then this this opportunity comes along. So you kind of shift from campus to church plant. And now there's like this merger in front of you. What do quick tell that story and then how that, how God used that in the life of your community. Yeah. So we've wanted to do church. We wanted to plant a church uh, since day one. You know, we saw how much of a benefit it was for us when we were just kind of contextual for our community and we just, that was, you know, a big part of like, okay, so we did it, you know, when, when are we going to have the opportunity to plant a church? And we were just starting to grow and have this season of heart kind of harvest season where, you know, at first wasn't like a huge growth trajectory with attendance or our church size or, or budget or any of that sort of stuff initially, but a couple years in, it was like, okay, we're starting to see the first fruits of that um baptisms are going up we're starting to see some movement then covid hit and it was like no one knew what what anyone was doing and who you know who's a part of our church who's not it was just kind of crazy in the midst of that there was a church just down the street um in downtown boise so we were more proper north end and there's a church just about a mile and a half away in in downtown boise uh that their pastor had resigned two weeks into the the um covid shutdown in march of 2020 
And they were really just, it was an aging congregation in a historic church building, a 110 year old church building. And they were trying to navigate COVID while navigating, are we going to rehire for a new lead pastor? Are we going to merge? So essentially I just reached out to them and just said, Hey, if there's any way, you know, I, I knew that pastor, I'm familiar with the church. They're both, both of us were connected to Boise Bible college. So there was kind of a mutual connection there. And I said, Hey, we will be praying for you. Any, anything you need from us? Cause everyone was doing online. I was like, you could even like use our online sermons. They didn't end up taking me up on that, but it was just like anything you need, just like, let us know. I know it, you know, I know it's probably an extra difficult season for you guys. That turned into a conversation July, 2020 uh, of, Hey, would Hill city consider merging with us? And we went on a, um, a three month discernment phase. And by October of 2020, it was, it was decided uh, with everyone that needed to, you know, prayer, fasting, discussions, vision nights, worship, you know, we, we did all that sort of stuff. And then in October, it was officially like we're merging. We had, you know, they needed a congregational vote. We needed all the elders to be on the same page. That was all good. And we officially merged and moved uh, January of 2021. So that's about five months kind of start to finish of that merger. And then here we are a couple of years removed from that. And God has just significantly blessed us. We've, we've had the opportunity to remodel the building, fix a lot of maintenance, but really uh, just ministry wise, we've seen a ton of growth. We're reaching uh, a lot of young adults. We're reaching students from Boise high school. We, we, our church literally uh, shares two uh, boundaries lines with Boise yeah. high school. So you basically like share a wall with their gym. It's like literally yeah, right there. We've, yeah. they, we've had the opportunity to have our students walk through their halls and pray for uh, the school year before school starts. We've actually met uh, in their gymnasium when there's times where our, this, uh, our youth area has been closed for renovations. It's been really cool. God's doing some really, really amazing stuff. So beyond like, I, I am a huge fan of the building that we're in and we're in this historic building. But beyond the move in location, you know, the, the community, the culture of our church has really been strengthened a ton through the merger. So, yeah, we're not yet five years old. This fall, we will be five years old as a church. And it feels like 20 years. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, I can't believe it's been three years since the merger. It feels like yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's me. It's insane. So, well, so that's all the backstory, which I love because I think like every, every church planner story has these, these twists and turns you don't expect. So like you, you don't know that a merger is coming and then it's a big piece of your story and God, God is preparing you for that moment. Otherwise it wouldn't have made sense if Hill City hadn't experienced a season of fruitfulness. And if God hadn't given you that autonomy, that wouldn't have happened with the church that you were a part of before. So that's all a part of the story. But I really want to get into your passion, which is why we have you on the show today. And you, you've you been working on a book that's really about not just reaching the next generation, but engaging the next generation in the mission. And I, I got to say, so you and I, I think you're like six or seven years younger than me, somewhere in there. Who knows? <laughs> I, I'm not going to say how old I am and I'm not going to ask you to say it, but I think that's where we're at. Um, but I, I got to say when, when we have our meeting of, of our network locally, you and I are some of the youngest guys in the room and we're in our thirties and forties. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm just turned 40. There you go. Um, and I'm, I'm 32. If that, help, if that okay, helps. Okay. There you, there you go. So now, now we know where we're at, but when we look around the room, I got to say, I don't know barely any young people who are saying, I want to work in ministry. I want to be a worship leader. I want to be a youth pastor. I feel called to a lifetime of ministry. That number when I was young was a good percentage of people that I knew were at least open to that calling. And now like we have this, this generation that didn't engage in spiritual life because of family stuff and because of church stuff and because of cultural stuff. And then that number of people who are called and equipped for ministry is even lower. And so we're kind of hitting the next generation going, there's, there's nobody there. And you're asking the question, what does it look like for the church to do that? So I want to, I want to dive in. You, you've been working on a book and you've got a blog. Um, first, like what's, what's the website for your blog so people can connect with it? Yeah. So it's just, I mean, I typically go by Josh, but because the, the, the URL was taken, it's joshuabranham.com. Um, so I use, use my full name there. Okay. We'll, we'll and, put that in the, in the show notes so people can see it. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. That So yeah, I mean, really this, this, the book is written to young leaders or to an older leader who wants to either revitalize some of their that youthful edge that they used to have, or they want to mentor or decide they want to use it as a discipleship tool. I want to go through this book with uh, an emerging leader that, that doesn't even know that they're an emerging leader yet, but you see something in them. So yeah, I've got this book that I've written in a publishing process, um, you know, look at, looking for options there, but essentially it started as, man, why is it like I was, I was 26 going through this church, you know, started that church planting journey was 26 years old, initial call 20 took me, you know, took about six years there in youth ministry. And it was, it was like swimming upstream to like get people to believe that I could actually do it. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, I don't, I don't, have, I don't have to go into all the, the details of the, the meetings, but like people would look at me like, how can you seriously think that you are eligible to lead a church or to, you know, to do this kind of stuff? Well, you didn't, you didn't fit their mental model of a 35 year old with three kids, you know, like yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. And it, and it's like, I'm so glad I didn't wait. Yeah. You know, I'd still be waiting. I like, cause I'm not 35 yet. Right. So it's like, yep. and yet yep. like all that God has done in the last, in the last five years is at Hill city and all this. And I just, you know, initially it started as this kind of, and I wish it wasn't that way. I wish that you look at scripture and you see God consistently calling and using teenagers, young adults for, for significant ministry. Jesus, right? Jesus spent four years, whatever that time frame was with 12 teenagers, yeah. almost almost certainly they were teenagers because Peter was the only one who paid the temple tax. He was probably 20. That's it. Yeah. All of yeah. them were teenagers. So it's, so it's just this, and it's old Testament, new Testament prophets. Jeremiah was young. Like you just look at all of this kind of thing. Samuel was young. David was young. It's the overlooked. It's the, it's the next generation. And I'm not saying that God doesn't use old people. Um, what, what I am saying though, is we've got to start looking at the next generation through different eyes. And especially when I just, you know, I mean, I read a statistic the other day about the tens of thousands of pastors who quit 
as a result of uh, the pandemic and uh, polarization the last few years. And then another 50% of the ones who stayed would quit if they had the skill set to work in a different job. And I'm like, what? You know, like this is the, the few, you want to talk about like ecclesiology and missiology and the future, the trajectory of the church in our country. We need young leaders. We need emerging leaders. But so that's not how it started. Like I'm looking at it now and I'm like, man, I'm so glad that um, I have a, a, an outlier kind of story as being trusted. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, I think there, you know, there's that moment with uh, King Saul and, and David where it seems like the only reason that Saul is willing to let David go fight Goliath is like, better you die than me. Like that's kind of, Oh yeah. It's, it's not because he trusts him. It's not because he's, he's, it's like the senior pastor saying, Hey, I really don't want to go preach at that old folks home. How about you go? (laughs) Yeah. And so, and so it's just like, if somebody's going to die out there, if, you know, I guess, you know, you're as good of a dead body as anyone. And that's pretty, that's pretty crude way to say it. But I think when I went to the struggling campus, it was like, trust, like, okay, you, you, you can go plant the church. If you really think you can, I would say there was a sense of it's going to fail anyone. Anyway, let's like, Josh is as good of a person to send there as anyone. So I, I don't think I was like overly empowered or entrusted. And I just had this sense from God, man, I, I wish that I could share some of my stories, share some of the tips and share even scripture, share some of these stories of, of young leaders from scripture to empower a teenager, to empower a young adult, to begin to explore God's calling on their life, not just a vocational ministry, although certainly we need that, um, yeah. but also just to use their life for significance. And so that's really been a big passion of mine is how can we empower the next generation of leaders Instead of how can we attract them through pizza parties or through raffles or like that, that was a shift that I made year that we made years ago in youth ministry. And it's, I would just say, continue to inform the decisions that I make today. Yeah. Well, let let me ask you this. So I think you guys are doing a good job. You and um, Andrew are both doing a great job at empowering young adults and gathering them around you. Um, What do you, what do you think? Like if, if you're a leader at a church and like our church is full of little kids in a few years, we're going to have this massive youth group, but like, we're kind of, you know, we're growing into it as a church plant. Um, we've got a dozen kids who are connected, but like for, for churches who are saying we have a few kids and we want to empower them or like you look around our city, 7% of our city is probably in a gospel church in a given week. It's probably three or 4% of teenagers who are in a given church in a given week. And so we've got this massive, you know, let's say it's 10% of our, of our city. So 80,000 teenagers in this, in Southwest Idaho. And probably 10% of them have heard the gospel. I think like, for me, that's, that's like the starting point is saying, how are we getting the gospel in the hands? This is almost the first generation in hundreds of years where they're going to be introduced to the gospel as teenagers rather than as kids. If they're going to be introduced at all, because before it'd be like, you'd hear about it culturally, you hear about it in the media, you'd hear about it from grandma at church. That doesn't happen anymore. Kids aren't getting any of that. And so in some ways, there's like a freedom. When I hang out with teenagers, I want to tell them about Jesus because I'm going to be the first person who told them about Jesus. I get to frame it for them. 
outside of religious terms, which is really cool. Um, where, where do you see opportunity for gospel impact? Where do you see opportunity um, that you guys are pursuing to engage young leaders? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, for us, one of the, one of the biggest things is, you know, we try to be fluent in the gospel to use uh, Jeff Vanderstelt's language from his book, Gospel Fluency. We want to be a community that's fluent in the gospel all the time. And um, we are consistently, you know, on Sundays, like you come, you hear the gospel every single week. Doesn't matter, you know, doesn't matter who's in the room, the gospel's being preached. Uh, but more than that, I think, you know, in our, in our, it's at our homes and our tables, taking discipleship of kids. You mentioned that it's incredibly serious to me, um, discipling my own children. And when, when you build a culture, so one, one of the biggest things I, I think that's, that's a mistake. I'll just say that I think it's a mistake of, of the attractional, okay. attractional yeah. model is it's, you know, it's that idea of what you win them with is what you win them to. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of been like a, a common critique, right? I'm not the first one to say that, but it's, it's this idea of, but what if, like you're saying, what if teenagers and young, young adults are spiritually hungry, which mm -hmm. we actually know that they are, they are. And what if the, like, I, I just have this line, just give them Jesus. Would you just give them Jesus? And why are we ashamed? Why are we trying to kind of like lure or trick young adults to like get into an environment or join a program? And then we like, it's a bait and switch. And here's Jesus. And you know, he's what you actually are here for. And it's like, oh no, I came here for, to meet girls or I came here, you know, for the LaCroix or, and it's, there's nothing wrong with trying to be culturally relevant or, or whatever. But I just think, man, do we believe the gospel is the power of God for salvation? Do, do we actually believe that? And, and to me, it, I mean, I have such a, I, I guess like a counterintuitive way of young adult ministry is I do not, we don't do young adult ministry. We preach the gospel. We're passionate about Jesus and we try to have a church. We actually have an incredibly, um, I, incredibly intergenerational church and uh we have we've got 60 year olds discipling 16 year olds and everywhere in between and it's just this beautiful um beautiful manifestation of some of the diversity of the body of christ but for us it really has to do with this idea of just give them jesus and let him win their hearts and if we are continuing to build a community that's on fire it's actually the passion that people see in me or see in anyone who's a part of our community for the gospel, unleashing that passion on a college campus. That's how you, like we've had entire women's basketball team from BSU. We've had uh, sororities and fraternities. We've had all of these kind of things. We do zero on, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying you shouldn't do on campus ministry. I don't go to the campus and try to get people to come to our church someone a young adult who comes to hill city and they're radically changed by the gospel of jesus christ there's a quick turnaround at our church to them experiencing the gospel and them actually being commissioned and i've got to go tell my friends about this like there's an yeah. expectation of mission shortly after somebody you know 
is baptized. It's like, all right, hey, you're still yeah. wet. Uh, who are you going to tell about this, right? Yeah. So, so I would say for us, it, it really has a lot to do with building a community and a culture of, first of all, everyone loves Jesus, just gospel, just saturated community, but then also a, a culture of mission. And hmm. we're, all, we're all doing the mission. It's not me going, like the pastor doesn't have to go to BSU. It should be the BSU students who are going to BSU. It yeah. should be, you know, it should be like you in your neighborhood, making Jesus known in the neighborhood. That's one of our core values. And like I said earlier, we like, I hate it if that's just a core value that sounds good on a website and we don't actually do that. Like we, we yeah. really, it's a big deal to us. So, well, let's, let's, uh, I want to shift just real quick into Dallas Willard's famous two questions. What, what is your plan for making disciples at Hill City? And is it working? Like what's, what does it look like for you to commission and train and equip people in the gospel and that gospel fluency in transformational, like becoming like Jesus? And what's, how's, that, how's that working in your context? Yeah, so our discipleship is like the one word um, adjective I would use to describe our church. Um, it's, it's a big deal to me. And for us, um, I talk about our discipleship process more like an environment. We use plants. We have a chart with plants and we have these five stages everywhere from pre-faith, new faith, young faith, growing faith, and mature faith. So really a lot of it, and we show this chart a lot to our gen. It's almost like a joke, like, hey, you guys seen this chart? And everyone's like, yeah, we've seen the chart, you know, <laughs> but it's that idea of like, this is one of the central teachings of, of our church. And really a lot of the discipleship process for us starts with have we clearly stated that growing towards maturity in christ is the goal mm -hmm. because a lot of people you've got those five charts if the first or five stages the first stage is pre-faith and then the net, the second stage is new faith a lot of people that's their only chart yeah they 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 got there and they're done yeah okay you're new you're new to faith great now you just attend church until you die and that's a very low vision and a very low calling um, that does not line up with the calling of Christ. And yeah. so for us, it's like, okay, that's great. You're really just beginning this lifelong journey of discipleship. Yeah. And so really the first, the first point of our discipleship process is have we clearly communicated and articulated. And for us, it's not, it's not clever. It's not fancy. We show the same chart over and over and over again. People know it. It's in our church membership video. It's it's everywhere, right? What's what are the vehicles for transformation? Like, what's what's that look like in your con in context? Yeah. So part of clearly communicating it is we not only describe what each one of those five stages is, but we actually talk about what you need to get to the next stage. And so we have, hey, if somebody's in this stage, this is what they need. So okay, pre faith. What does someone who's pre-faith need? They need the gospel. They need to hear the gospel, experience the gospel. Okay. So like if we encounter someone and we're like, oh, you, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, man, we got to talk to you about Jesus. We got to talk to you about the gospel. We train every single one of our life group leaders with that process and the clear steps that, that help move someone from one step uh, to the next. The next vehicle I would say is we talk about our discipleship process like an environment. So like a plant. I don't grow a plant. I create an environment in which a plant can grow. And it's the yeah. same thing with our faith. God yeah. causes the growth. And so essentially, what is the environment in which 
someone grows in their discipleship. For us, we have three three main vehicles, and we just basically tell someone, hey, you want to grow in your faith? You need to be in these, like a Venn diagram, you need to be smack dab in the middle of these three environments. The first environment is Sunday worship. It's the worship gathering. So we, we again, we are not forsaking the gathering. We think it's really important. And so we want you to be here, worship with us. That's also a great vehicle for sharing the gospel. Um, the second vehicle is we call them life groups, but really it's small group ministry or mentorships. Uh, could be a prayer group, Bible study. Like essentially we just say, like, who is your church? Not what church do you go to? Cause you could mm-hmm. answer that with the, the worship gatherings, but who like the names of the people who are your brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah. And for me, I, I can list the names of the people who I mentor and I disciple and, and, that, and so on and so forth. And then the third uh, vehicle is spiritual practices. So that's your, so you have large group, small group, and then individual or family unit uh, would be the spiritual practices. What are the rhythms and the disciplines that you do? Obviously Bible reading and prayer is a big part of that, but we leverage our Sunday teachings to help train people in spiritual practices. We, we utilize uh, things like prayer station nights and um, some of that kind of stuff. Like our church events are not just events for gathering community. They're actually training grounds for like, hey, we want you to be doing this kind of stuff on your own. So, so basically, this is how we say it. It's like if somebody is doing spiritual practices, they're in a life group or they're being mentored by, by someone, and they're showing up consistently on Sundays, that is the environment that is conducive for their faith in Jesus to grow. Yeah, because that's, yeah, that's the Jesus-shaped journey, right? You yep. get connected with the community, you're formed through relationship, and then you live out the calling of God in your life. That's the three pieces, up in and out. I love it. Yeah. So, and that's, again, I'm not saying that we came up with anything. Like this is, this is yeah. many churches do this. What we've done is we make sure everybody knows this is what we do at Hill City. And if, so it's and like if you messaging wanna, discipline. You're, you're staying on message. Everybody knows what you're about and what you do. Yep. To yeah. the point where people who've been around a long time are like, we know, we know you want yeah. us to join a life group. And we're like, seriously. And we, but we have, we have hundreds of people in, in life groups. We have like the same thing that we saw in youth ministry years ago. We're actually seeing, we are seeing that in, with adults. We're seeing a high level of adults either um, making disciples or being discipled in a small group context, people with high level of serving and involvement and um, all the rest. So, yeah, I mean, I would just say it's really simple, but being clear, making sure everyone knows like, this, the goal is maturity. The goal is not just move from new pre-faith to new faith. The goal is to continue on that journey with Jesus. And uh, so that, so like, it's very, it's, it's very simple. It's not super out of the box, but I would just say it, it works. It really does work. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Josh, I, I'm really glad you come on today and talk. I, I think the next generation stuff, what I'm taking away from it is it's not about designing ministry for young adults it's about inviting young adults into the mission into the kingdom work and letting them letting them play their role where they're at be a part of what god's called called them to i think that's that's brilliant and i i love watching what you're doing it's been great watching andrew your brother put together this young leaders cohort um alongside of our church playing network i think it's going to 
pay dividends and kind of creating a network of young adults who are committed to the mission. Some great stuff. Um, so if people want to connect with you, you're working on the book, but the, the website's joshuabranham.com. And do you have socials that people can follow as well? Yep. I'm on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. It's all at Joshua D. Branham. Joshua D. Branham. Because right. Danger, Danger is my middle name. I, I love it. Or no. David. <laughs> David. <laughs> uh, and Branham's B-R-A-N-H-A-M, Branham. So yep. make sure to make sure to follow Josh. And uh, thanks for being here, listeners. We we love you. We do this because we care about you. And we believe that you can't reach the people no one else is reaching if you don't go where no one else is going and do what no one else is doing. So make sure to get out there. Um, connect with us on social. And we're looking forward to connecting. Make sure to like, subscribe, review, whatever uh, whatever your podcast service allows you to do. Go do it. And, uh, you know, if you give us a one-star review, we'll probably, like, make fun of you a little bit because it's just funny for us. You give, give us a five-star review. We might send you something. Who knows? Uh, thanks for being on here. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the City Network Podcast. If you have any comments or questions, join the discussion on our Facebook group at thecitynetwork.org slash group. Or sign up at the website to subscribe to updates from our blog and podcast.